Hallie Bridgman is a USA Today best-selling author of inspirational romantic suspense, and she's talking about her latest adventure series, Love and Honor. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and in today's show, Hallie introduces Honor's Refuge. In our free book offers this week, we've got a special treat coming up to Christmas. Fall in Love Sweet Romance Giveaways, I've got two free sweet historical novellas in it, Hope Redeemed, a Spanish novella, that's number six in the series, and Captive Heart, a Hawaiian Christmas novella, that's number eight in the series. If you find you enjoy them, you might like to take a look at books five and seven, which are the long mysteries that lead into them. Take a look at those as well. But now, here's Hallie. Hello there, Hallie, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Look, you're the best-selling author of inspirational fiction with nearly a million copies sold. That's a point for congratulation and celebration for starters. And we're going to be talking today about one of your recent series, Love and Honor. But you've got six other series and also half a dozen or so standalone books. So give us an idea of where did you get started? Was it with the inspirational fiction right at the beginning? That's what published first, but I wrote years ago, I was originally a secular romance author, not a Christian romance author. And so I had 10 books written that were secular, just typical, you know, straight up romance. And then I shelved them for a few years. I went through a divorce and I got remarried and I had babies. And then one day I pulled them out and that was when I changed them to Christian fiction. And, and six of those original stories have been published, but I redeemed them. I went in and I made them Christian instead of just a romance story. It's a wonderful story because going back to books like that would have been quite a bit of work to rework them, was it? Well, it was, and they needed to be rewritten anyway. So a couple of them got like completely gutted, but there were a couple of them that it was interesting to me how much I could keep. Like yes. how much was already there as a base, but a couple of them did get gutted. Mainly one of the reasons is because the suspense ones were written prior to 9-11. And then after 9-11, all of the things that were suspense in those books would have been handled differently. I had to look at the suspense and say, okay, how is this going to be different in today's world yes. versus a pre-9-11 world? Yes, that's interesting. It must have taken actually a heck of a lot of discipline and drive to keep on writing to get to 10 books like that without having anything particularly published well I didn't really understand the publishing business I just woke up one morning and started writing literally I just <laughs> woke up and started writing <laughs> so the more that I wrote the more I just wanted to keep writing and I did try one time to get published and I sent a manuscript in and they wrote back and said oh we really love this book but we don't like this aspect of the main character can you change this about him and I said no <laughs> that's like the last time I tried I was like if they don't you know if they're not gonna let me keep the things that I wrote the way that I wrote them then I just I'm not interested in getting published and so I just kept writing I didn't really seek publication after that and so when I pulled my books out it was it was with the intent of okay now it's time to try to get published now I have the internet at my fingers where before I didn't really and I've learned a little bit about the business and I'm ready to dig in and learn how to get published now and did you also notice that over those 10 books, you'd become a much better writer as you went along? Oh, <laughs> yes. And then letting them sit for a few years and going back to them made me realize 
how much I wasn't a good writer, (laughs) how much I needed to work on the craft as much as understanding the publishing industry. Every book is better written than the last. Yes, that's right. Look, the Love and Honor series, it's an action-packed romantic suspense series. And you say you focus on realistic characters who face real-world problems. What draws you to those kinds of stories? One of my biggest things is that I never want to pull my reader out. I don't want to suspend their disbelief. Like I want them to trust that my characters are going to do something that's realistic. Even if it was a fantastical situation, the actions, reactions, emotions are all going to be something that real people feel. I don't want to create this Hollywood hero that that is a trope wrapped up in a stereotype. I want all of my characters to be someone that my reader can relate to, that they think about later, that they forget our characters. I have a series of books. The last book, the heroine was in serious medical peril. The reader had no idea if I was going to kill her or not. And I have a review where the the reader said that she sobbed out loud and started praying for her. (laughs) And I thought, oh, she was real to her. She believed like this character was Like all of her suspension of disbelief existed. Yes, that's fantastic. Many of your key players in this series are military or ex-military or emergency personnel. And you also say on your website that you were, quotes, an army brat. And I wondered if that had helped influence some of the people that you choose to write about. I think it absolutely did. I have always been like really attracted to strong male characters who are men, leaders who are the type that would step in front of danger, who aren't afraid to be men. And that's the type of characters I like to write. So I like to read. Type A's. (laughs) Totally type A's. Yeah, absolutely. That's my father. That's my husband. That's the men I grew up around as an army brat. My dad was an infantry soldier. And in the American military at that time, there were no women in the infantry. It was all men. And it was the infantrymen, the grunts on the ground, you know. So those were the men that I had as my role models growing up. And because they're inspirational titles, they also are what we call the closed door romance, that the love story very much involves the character's emotional and spiritual development, and there's no sex. And I think that does give you the chance actually to dig deeper into the character because they are working out if they've got a future together before they jump into bed, aren't they? Right. It was amazing to me when I rewrote the first book I rewrote. It was already a good book. It would have been a great typical secular romance novel. It had all the things, all the hallmarks for it. And when I rewrote it and I added that spiritual depth and I took out the sex and I really examine their romance I was amazed at how much of a better book it was like there was nothing lacking you're not going to come out of that book wishing that you'd had that because there's nothing lacking anymore you've done quite a lot of talks to other writer groups and I see that one of the topics you talk on is writing red hot squeaky clean (laughs) romance now there's some people who might believe that such a thing doesn't exist so tell us about that So when I teach that class, what I do is I take well-known, well-loved movies that have no sex in them. Casablanca is one that I use. There is 
no sex in that movie. They have it, I think, but we don't know. Nothing is confirmed or denied. But the tension and the passion is so vivid. It dances off of the screen. And so there's a couple of well-known and well-loved movies that I pull the really strong romantic scenes out of and show you. You know, sometimes the camera goes up to the chandelier and sometimes it just fades away and you're left guessing, but there's no lack of romance, even though there's a lack of sex. That's wonderful. Look, in Honest Refuge, both of your key characters have had major trauma in their lives, which is still very much affecting how they're acting and responding today. Phil Osborne has been injured in a war in a previous book, and Melissa has had some very traumatic childhood experiences. Tell us a bit about those two people, two damaged people who find each other. I really wanted to dig into damaged people who taken their hurt and turned away from God. I wanted to have two people that are still, even if they're angry and hurt and scared, that their faith hasn't wavered even if that anger might be pointed at God. And that was where I came in with Phil. He lost a leg in combat. He was also a drug addict. He left his residency as a surgeon and joined the military to escape a drug addiction and then lost his leg. And so here's someone who's had two careers and both of them are gone. And he's just this lost individual, but he still loves God and he still serves Christ and he still goes to church and he still interacts with his family, even though inside he's just so angry and lost. His faith never wavered, but his adoration of God might have a little bit. And then Melissa, her mother was killed in front of her. Her father beat her mother to death in front of her. And then she was ripped apart from her sister, who she spent the rest of her adult life looking for. She was such a strong character that Phil's grumpiness never got her down and the barriers that kept her from finding her sister never dissuaded her from trying. And so I really enjoyed examining those two characters and then bringing them together because he didn't feel like he was a whole man. Not only was he missing a leg, he was an addict. And so he didn't feel like he was worthy of Melissa, but he was so in love with her, he couldn't let her go. It was fun to examine the depths of those feelings. And on the faith side of things, although he continued to be active in his faith, he didn't actually have that dimension where he believed that God could heal him or give him a future that he really wanted. He couldn't believe in that part of it, could he? No, he couldn't let himself go of the anger enough to believe that it could be. Yes. Like what else was there for him? And then there's a tragedy that happens in the middle of the book that I, I can't give it away or it would completely make it not fun to read but that is like something that completely rocks his world and it's almost as if he stands there and he's like what else (laughs) I can take whatever you throw at me (laughs) have you considered my servant Job okay here's my servant (laughs) Phil (laughs) that's right you've done a number of these books with those sorts of characters but looking on your website it's obvious that you have done quite a lot of other sort of work as well contemporary romance and I saw even a historical there called Temperance's Trial, which is set in Nazi Germany. So tell us a bit about the wideness of your writing. And are you doing other series at the moment, as well as this Love and Honor one? 
I have a continual series that I will always be writing, and that's my Red Blood and Bluegrass. So I created a fictional small town in Kentucky that I'll pull short novels out of anytime I just feel like I want to write one. I love the town. I placed the first book, Honor Bound. Rick Norton was from this town. And I just love creating characters that are coming out of it. But the rest of it, it basically was, I had 10 books written. The suspense I couldn't publish because I needed to like gut them and figure out how to handle them in post 9-11. And so I had a series about three sisters and the contemporary romance. All I had to do was throw in a couple of cell phones and it brought them up to date and I was able to publish them. Well, those were fantastically popular. They took off. People loved the Jewel series so much that I went ahead and wrote a second generation series. And if I wrote a book now, it would fans would clamor for it because they just love the characters in the Jewel series so much. And that kind of tied me into this contemporary romance where what I really wanted to be writing was suspense. And so now I have to juggle the two. The World War II was just a, it was a, a work of love. I love World War II time period. I love heroes and heroines, the true stories that came out of the war. I love that generation so much. And I really wanted to just highlight heroines. And so my Virtues and Valor series is eight books about the same event told from eight different perspectives. And it's the planning and execution of the rescue of a wireless operator who was captured in occupied France. And so it's a team, a cohort of seven women. And each of my characters was based on a real woman who did real things in World War II. And at the end of every book, I tell the true story of the woman who inspired that story. So that's what the World War II one is, the Virtues and Valor series. It's a series of eight. And that one, I would love to do a Pacific story like that. It hasn't happened. My brain hasn't worked it out yet. Like (laughs) the Virtues (laughs) and Valor series just was there. Yeah. (laughs) I need to have that same thing happen for me to do the Pacific series too. So the Pacific series would still be a Second World War one, but around the Japanese theater? Yeah. It would be around the Japanese. Or I went to Hawaii a few years ago and was able to go to the Pearl Harbor Memorial yeah. and do a bunch of touring of stuff like that. And I had friends who are stationed in Japan. And so we're going to go to Japan this summer. And I'm hoping the inspiration will strike while I'm there is what I want to write and how I want to write it. Because I would love it to be really similar style-wise to the Virtues and Valor series, but not in occupied France, maybe do it somewhere in Japan or Japan occupied. Yeah, Singapore or somewhere. Oh, that sounds fascinating. And also it introduces another thing and that you do seem to love to create those communities. I noticed that even in Love and Honor, you've got Phil in book one and that chap Rick Norton, who you mentioned, who was his commander in book one, pops up in in this book three, just giving him encouragement at a key moment. You obviously like to create these communities in your work. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing better than to revisit characters and let the reader see where they are. Yeah. And so I have another series of suspense called The Song of Suspense in all four books. One of the characters is a musical prodigy in some way. And there's nothing that connects the stories except the characters. So each one is completely standalone. But there's characters that weave in and out of all four books. And it's like a fun, almost an Easter egg kind of thing to give the reader that that 
reconnection with the character that they got to know so well. Like the Russian dolls, the babushka dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Inside, inside, inside. Yeah. You're also highly productive. I see that from your website, it looks like you've got five books that you've got in fairly new release over this last 12 months or are coming still. And I thought about the fact you are a wife and mum. How on earth do you organize your day to get it all done? It takes some organization because I also have a full-time job and I homeschool my kids. I write really fast for one and I plan and execute my books relatively quickly when I sit down to do them. But I also am most productive, like super early in the morning. And so if I can get up at four in the morning and write until six, I can get two or three chapters written in a day. And that's the way that I'm able to produce so quickly things that like right now, we just started our homeschool year. And so my social media and my blog have taken a hit because I'm focused on organizing every homeschool day, but eventually that will be in a good flow and everything will be moving and I'll get back to the normal with my social media, but I just say every once in a while, something has to give. (laughs) So how old are your children? I have three. My oldest is 25. She just got married. And then I have 14 and 16 year old boys. And that would take a lot of teaching actually, because you're really getting into depth with their subjects at that stage, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We sat actually right before this podcast, I was at the table with them and we were learning how to seriously diagram sentences. In a way that I was having to learn how to do it, to teach it to them. And I was like, you know what? I'm a USA Today bestselling author and I've written 49 books. I've never used this. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything to me. (laughs) But we're going to learn it because it's in the book. (laughs) That's lovely. You also love cooking and you've got some recipes in this book, some really interesting looking recipes. I think there's one about seasoned rice that I thought, oh, I'd love to try that. It looks good. And you've also written some books that are based around cooking and food. And you've got Halley's Brew Coffee that you're selling on your website. Tell us about all of that, your foodie thing. So I am a whole food, real food cook, which means that if I can make it, from base ingredients, I make it, we don't buy it. And that is to include, I grind my own wheat from whole grain and make my own flour. We make all of our condiments, mustard, ketchup, and everything. I start with just fresh vegetables or fresh meats and just go from there. For a long time, when my kids were little, I couldn't write fiction. I had this mental block about escaping into fiction world in my brain because my kids were little and I needed to be present for them. And when I'm writing fiction, I'm really not present. I have to have alarms on my phone to pull me out of it. And so I blogged as Hallie the Homemaker for years. And I had recipes and kitchen tips and homemaking tips and parenting tips and it's been so long that my 14 year old was my model for how to cloth diaper when he was a baby. And that was how I fed my creative energy. And so I've had this reputation for food and cooking and entertaining, and it's a passion and a joy of mine. And so after I finish a series, sometimes I'll just write a quick cookbook as a palate cleanser for my brain. And it all started with a gravy cookbook that we named 50 shades of gravy, a Christian gets saucy. (laughs) And that was the beginning of it. So I also have the walking bread, the bread will rise. Iron Skillet Man is an iron skillet cookbook. And my most recent one is Hallie Crockpotter and the Chamber of 
of sacred ingredients, which is a slow cooker cookbook. Yeah. So that's just fun. But in the back of all of my books, every one of them, there's a menu for the luncheon so that your book club can get together with the discussion questions that are in the back and have a meal that's inspired by the food in the book and talk about the book. How gorgeous. That sounds wonderful. And the coffee that you've got there, you're raising money for a mission with that one, aren't you? I am. I love coffee. I've branded myself with coffee. I have a Monday morning coffee and chat. I put up a coffee meme every day. It's just something fun to do. And so I was approached by a, my husband's friend also does this through his business, but there's a mission that is out of Honduras that's based in Birmingham, Alabama. And so we were in Birmingham and I went and met with them. Principio Coffee, I think is the name of it. I'm really, names are not my forte and I didn't look it up, but this man has a village in Honduras that he's been serving as a missionary to for several years. And they grow the coffee and then it comes back to the state still green and on the stems and his plant roasts it. And then all of the proceeds, 100% after the expenses of the building and the employees are settled, go back into that village in Honduras that when he first walked in there, Everyone was sick. All the floors were dirt floors. There was no clean water. There was no good ventilation. And he's an engineer by trade. And so over the years, he's ventilated the homes, put floors. Medical missionaries have come in and handled the disease and sickness. And so it's a pleasure to be able to support that ministry by selling coffee. And so we named it Hallie's Brew because it's a Honduran bean. <laughs> and uh, so it's and very fun. Tell us about the flavor pretend it's a wine what kind of flavor of coffee is it it's like a very rich brew that has no bitterness to it at all it's like your whole mouth just gets a coffee flavor and there's no background bitterness I promise it's the best coffee you've ever had <laughs> I went into this meeting thinking I don't want to sell coffee and then I tasted it and I was like okay I'm in <laughs> this is like the best coffee so yeah, uh, I have regular people that buy it two or three, two pound bags a month that just, they're my regular customers. And then every once in a while I'll do a sale and then I'll get a couple more regular customers. Cause it's honestly like the best thing you'll ever have. And they roast it and then ship it like immediately ship it. So when you receive your bag, it's freshly roasted. Oh, that's wonderful, Hallie. It really is. Yeah. Look, turning away from the books and the food and talking a bit about your wider career, what did you do before you became a writer and did it feed into your writing in any useful way? Well, back in an old life before my boys were born, I ran a construction company office. I ran an office for general contractors. So we did $20 million worth of work a year. And I was surrounded by those alpha males that I love so much. I worked <laughs> for two brothers and I started off in a trailer on the job site and eventually became the office manager. And I did that until my son was born. And then I became a homemaker, yeah. which is really where my passion is. Yeah. I love making a home and I love providing like a sanctuary to the world for my family. If I did nothing else for the rest of my life, but homemaking, I would be a very content woman. Oh, <laughs> so that's lovely. I think that the people that I've met through the years have fed into my writing way more than any kind of career path ever did. Yes, yes. 
Look, this is the joys of binge reading, and we are starting to come to the end of our time together. So we like to ask you about your reading habits and see if you've got anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners, mainly in the popular fiction area. With all that you've got going on, I wouldn't be surprised if you have very little time for reading at all. But when you get a chance, what do you like to read? I'm a weirdo, I promise. I... <laughs> I love to read, but I don't like to read what I write. And so my favorite genre is basically male detective written by a man, but first person. And so what I get out of that is a deep dive into the way men think. And I love it because I don't think that way. And so my editor brain shuts completely off and I'm just able to relax and enjoy the story. So my favorite author right now, I'm reading Rex Stout. Ah, that's so he's he's an older. I mean, he's not alive anymore, is he? He's, he's not alive. And his first book was written in like 1935, but then he wrote until like 1978 or something. So there's lots of books, and I'm probably halfway through them. And I love them. I love the characters. I love the dialogue. I love the setting because that's like one of my favorite time periods. Like middle 20th century is my favorite time period. It completely feeds me all the way, and they're quick reads. And so I might go take a long bath and get through one of them. And then and then if I don't have something like that in my hand, I honestly, I read cookbooks. Yes. Husband buys them for me all the time. <laughs> He's also identified as a Western writer, isn't he? Did, did he live in the West? I don't think so. Oh, no, his, okay. his setting is all in New York. Oh, okay. But one thing okay. about him is his main character in one of his series is Nero Wolf. And we are we have a son with autism. And I believe quite devoutly that Nero Wolf has autism and I also think that Rex Stout did, if you read anything about him and his biography and his life, I think that's probably one of the reasons I like him so much. Ah, and maybe that's where I got the idea because Nero Wolf sounds like a First Nation name. <laughs> yeah, no, he's in New York, New York City. <laughs> Very Eastern. Look, Looking back down the tunnel of time, if there was one thing about your life that you'd like to change in terms of your writing career, what would it be? I mean, it doesn't have to be anything, actually, but is there anything? And if so, what would it be? I'm thankful that I didn't publish Secular Romance. I'm thankful that that's not something that's like trailing me. And I'm thankful that I indie published before I traditionally published because I was able to establish my brand with my realistic characters and the way that I write and the settings that I put them in without a publisher saying that's not going to sell or that won't work. What I basically discovered was this huge audience hungry for the type of books that I write. And so I'm really thankful that God directed me and protected me and protected my career along the way. As much as I'm thankful now to have the opportunity to write for Ravel and Baker, because I love the books that we've produced together. I don't think I would change anything about my writing career. I think God's timing is perfect and I stayed in, in the right path with it. Yes. Look, what's next for Hallie, the author? What have you got on your your desk for the next 12 months, for example? I have another book that will trail the series. I have decided that my characters from Honor's Refuge are going to get married on a cruise ship. And so Ooh. my Special Forces A-team is going to all be there to celebrate the nuptials. And then pirates are going to try to take the ship and it's going to be a really bad day for the pirates. <laughs> and so that's the next book I'm going to write. But I have also plotted out another three book series that will be another Special Forces 18, but this one will be in conjunction with the cyber 
warfare department and in Israel. That does raise the question that I haven't asked you, but the research for these books, how do you do the research for these sorts of books? I mean, pirates well, and everything, how do you? <laughs> I went on a cruise. Huh. <laughs> I told my husband, I need to take a seven day cruise. Do you want to go with me? And he said, no, because <laughs> he doesn't like boats. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to go see how I can have pirates take a ship. And he's like, do it. Just don't ask me to go with you. And so I went a couple of Februarys ago, right before COVID hit. And went on a seven-day cruise from New Orleans to the Bahamas and back. In the process of the cruise, I worked out how pirates were going to take the ship. I did all sorts of tours through the ship and talked to all sorts of crew members. There's a chaplain here on Fort Knox whose daughter was a singer on a cruise ship for years. And so when I write it, she's going to beta read it for me and make sure that I get the details about living on a cruise and all of that right. And then my husband is former Special Forces and is in the Kentucky National Guard with the 175th Cyber Protection Team. And so this these three books that I'll be writing coming out, he will have a heavy hand in the editing of them to make sure that I have those kind of details right. And then I'll turn around and have a hand in them to make sure that what I say is something that the regular public can read and consume and understand. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be tricky. Yeah. But I'm excited. I'm excited about writing them. They're already plotted out. And that was the next question. How much is detailed of the plotting do you do before you start? I know the whole story. Uh-huh, yeah. From beginning to end, but I haven't sat down and done, in this chapter, this happens. That'll be my next step. I'll sit down and say, in chapter one, this happens. In chapter two, this happens. And I know that I need to get from here to here. And all these things that I say happen in the middle need to be worked out and fit them into 30 chapters. We have really come to the end of our time together. So just tell us a little bit about your interaction with your readers do you enjoy interacting with your readers and how do you like to do that where can they find you online I love interacting with my readers I love getting email I have a birthday club I send paper birthday cards to about 1500 people are on my list right now but you can find me at halliebridgman.com sign up for my newsletter you'll get to know me a little better you'll get the prequel to the series for free love in any language and it will, it will open the door for us to get to know each other. That's wonderful. You really do have a great feel for the whole thing. And you do marketing in a very personal way, don't you? I do, yes. Huh? I want uh, my readers to feel like they're invested in me and that I'm the product. <laughs> so that's what I strive to do. I strive to have a personal relationship with my readers which I, it's wonderful. If I send a newsletter out and I get a reply, I will reply. If I yeah. receive something in the mail, I'll reply. Yeah. I think it's important. I think that today, the way social media and websites and stuff work now, I think readers, honestly, they expect some sort of connection with the people that they follow. And when they get it, it's extra, it's special. Yeah, that's lovely. Well, thanks so much for your time. It's been wonderful talking. It has been. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed this. On binge reading next week, Greek-Australian author Peter Papathanasiou follows up his first novel, the 2021 crime debut novel of the year, with another haunting story, The Invisible. A burnt-out detective sergeant, George Manolis, travels to Greece to reconnect with his roots. That's binge reading next week. Remember, if you enjoy what you hear, add a review of the show so others will hear about us too. That's it for today. See you next week and happy reading.
Thanks for listening to the Joys of Finch Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysoffinchreading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone as a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week.